welcome to JudgeCast. This is episode number 132. My name is CJ Schrader, and with me, as always, my two Czechy co-hosts. First off, we have Jess Dunks. Hey, this is Jess. And Brian Proman. Hey, everybody. Hey, everybody. Hey, everybody. Did you just decide this is going to be like the, the banjo edition? Like, with... <laughs> Howdy there, partners. <laughs> I did see those weird jamboree bears. Those things are weird. Look, man, I, I am still really upset that when I went to Atlanta, I was not able to see Emmett Otter at the Puppet Museum. I know, but wait. Are you going to the GP? Yeah, you're going to be here on that Friday, aren't you? Oh, you're working yeah, on Friday. Yeah, but I'm working on that Friday. <laughs> oh, it never works and out. What time, what, time, what time do they open? Like nine or something. That's Ten? before my shift. All right, we'll, we'll we're going to need in. to put in vacation we, we, on that day. Do you want to do it on Thursday? I can't. I'm getting in late Thursday night. Okay, I, CJ, I, do you want to do it on Thursday? I can't go twice. Oh, you're going to do the Puppet Museum without me? Of course we're going to do the Puppet Museum without you. Oh, well, what I, about what about for the Pro Tour, the PT Atlanta? Uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm on for that. So, yeah, absolutely. So we can we can do we can we can go in a, a day early and do Puppet Museum. All right, let's plan for that. I'll take a day. Yes, yes. All right. All right. So this episode is about deck checks. <laughs> it's about Puppet Museum. Oh, I don't know how we got there. But that's where we were. Yeah, this episode is about deck checks in full and also the deck deck list problem, which usually results from a deck check. So let's dive right in, gentlemen. Why do we do deck checks? Oh, because the MTR says, says that's to do that. one of the big reasons. That's <laughs> truly a, a lot of the reason why I do a lot of things. <laughs> let's rephrase that. Why does the MTR tell us to do oh, deck checks? Oh, OK. Oh, we're getting specific there now, are we? That's right. Um. Okay, so one of the one of the reasons why we want to we want to do deck checks, and I guess this is this is in in the opposite order of, of which you which you actually run into them is the first reason is to catch cheaters. I think it's just in the order of perception. Yes, like, this is why players think we do deck checks. Yes, yeah, it's like so, the order of perception, but not the order of truth. Like, right. So yes, so one of the reasons why we do deck checks is to catch cheaters. We want to catch cheaters doing bad things and cheaters will sometimes maybe they'll pre sideboard maybe they'll slip a fifth copy of a card into a deck maybe they will have four checklist cards of jace but only actually one jace in their deck box because they didn't want to spend the billion dollars to buy a playset. all of those reasons or maybe maybe they'll have uh, marked cards, you know, like some some warped cards or something like that, where they're they're able to tell what their cards are coming up. Or very rarely they might have uh, proxies, or yeah, fake cards. Yep, all of those are those are these those are things that we might we hope to catch if if a player is doing we hope to catch in a deck check. What's another reason? Uh, I think more than catching them, we do it to deter cheaters. They they, they see us doing a deck check. And that we do it every event, and they know we do it every event. So the value in cheating in a way that can be caught in a deck check is very low. Yeah, this is why when you're doing a deck check, you got to be loud and visible about it, you know? Flap your arms around. Don't really flap your arms. But, you know, you don't have to be like, hey, excuse me, I'm going to deck check you guys now. You know, you can be like, hey, guys, can I get your decks and deck boxes for a random deck check or, or whatever you say? Yeah. Now, to be clear, that's that's when you're actually doing the deck check. Yeah. The moments before you're doing the deck check, you should not be like, <laughs> hey, guys, when you're done shuffling, I'm going to deck check you. <laughs> or the worst I've ever seen when I went to a local local Grand Prix trial some years ago where two players' names were circled on the pairings. And Ooh. they went, guys, don't start yet. If your name is circled on the pairings, we're going to deck check you. 
Oh, well, that's that's awfully <laughs> helpful. Hmm. And, and don't do that. That's uh, the the purpose of a deck check is is to deter cheaters. We can't do that if they know it's coming. So right, you should, you should surprise the players with a deck check, but then make make it relatively obvious that deck checks are being done once you begin. Yes, yeah. A, a huge a huge part of the value in doing a deck check is being seen doing a deck check. Exactly. Yeah, I think I'd say that's the number one reason. Uh, I, 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 yeah, that's probably the number one reason. Um, the the other thing that we do with deck checks is we're catching people's mistakes. Yeah. Um, we are, we are, and when you catch people's mistakes, this also goes back to the first thing. When you catch their mistakes, that's how you deter cheaters. That's how you catch cheaters because sometimes mistakes are mistakes, and sometimes mistakes are people trying to cheat. Um, so it's it's important for us to catch those mistakes to verify that they are in fact mistakes. Yep. So, and so like Brian said, the MTR says we have to, and the MTR says we need to, so this is a competitive and professional REL. We don't generally do deck checks at regular REL. Doesn't mean you can't. Right. Well, you, you can't, you can, but you don't normally have a list to go by. So what you can actually check is, is less, but you can, you can still, if you, if you get, uh, if you get a problem and you think that a player might be running, you know, uh, five copies of Jace or maybe in his sealed pool, uh, you know, you've gotten reports that he's got too many good cards mm-hmm. and you want to take a look at it just to see if he's, you know, got if he's running the right number of uncommons and rares and stuff like that. Uh, and those are those are valid reasons to do a deck check at a regular REL event. At regular REL, you're pretty much looking for deck legality, and you are looking for, you know, did somebody add cards to their sealed pool? Does this person have a 90-something card sealed pool? Do they have 12 rares in their deck? Um, you know, you're, that's that's what you're looking for in that regard. And sometimes you're looking for, did this person change decks between rounds and constructed at regular REL? Some people might think they could get away with playing mono red in the first round, deciding they don't like it, and switching over to, to blue-white control Yeah, for, for rounds two through four. And sometimes you might check their deck if you think that's happening to make sure they're playing the same deck they were playing last round. But all these are pretty rare. We don't do a lot of deck checks at regular REL because... That's you know the focus is not on the the accuracy of the deck list as much as the focus is on players learning and having a good time. Uh, and usually you're only going to be doing that check if you think something egregious is going on, like somebody decided to play their modern deck in the standard event because they don't know the difference, or if you think that somebody's actively cheating. Yeah. So for the rest of this podcast, whenever we talk about deck checks, we're going to basically be talking about competitive and professional REL. Um, so don't. Don't apply a lot of this to regular, but I think Jess and Brian just did a great summary of when you might want to do a deck check at regular. So the MTR says that we should deck check 10% of all players on the field. So that means if you have 80 players, you need to do you need to check eight decks. Or generally, when we do a deck check, we do it as partners. So you uh, each check one. So you need to check. You need to do a total of four deck checks. But now, I know. I know we're going to get an email about this. Mm-hmm. Somebody's going to point out that, that the MTR calls that a recommendation. Uh, and it does call that a recommendation. It is that. This is a number you should be striving for. There is usually no good reason you can't hit 10% in an event. Oh, man. I, I would think it would, wouldn't be striving for. It's the number that you should feel bad if you don't make. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and, and then there, 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 
I think the only event I've ever done where I I didn't hit 10% on jack, deck checks was where I was like blown out by 110 people in a sealed event and I was the only judge. Right. And, and I was like, "Yep, that's uh that's not happening today." Yeah. Now, now uh, I will I will add there's some judges that want to do more more and more is good, but there reaches a certain point. There's a there's a point where you stop doing deck checks and really you're just trolling the players. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would probably say that starts getting around 20 ish percent. Yeah. 20, 25 percent is you're you're now just trolling the players. Yeah, that's exactly what I ought to bring up. You, you can go too far with deck checks. Um, yeah, I, I agree with that. I 100 percent agree with that now. I don't if if you've hit your 10% and you're like I want to do a deck check every round for the rest of the tournament that's probably fine just so people still know they're happening. Yep. But but if you're like all right, we hit 10%, and we're going to keep doing all the deck checks we can instead of having people, you know, on the floor answering rules questions, um then you your priorities might be a little off. So but yes. I think I think we should go into describing what a deck check is before before we talk too much else about about when we do that yeah so we'll go into specifics here but uh a deck check is basically the act of stopping a match generally in the beginning of the match but not always uh gathering both players decks and their deck boxes because we want to have everything that's uh that's in their sideboard as well and then you basically checking their deck uh you're looking through it you're verifying that it's a legal deck verifying that their deck list is legal and that the two things match In the, you're verifying their sideboard. You're looking at their sleeves. You're you're looking for any irregularities, uh, not just in the list of cards and the cards that comprise the 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 names of the cards that comprise the deck, but also, you know, our card bowed, are our sleeves see through, our sleeves dinged, are they different sizes, stuff like that. Um, yeah, with uh, Innistrad coming back already, it's. I think the the search for opaque sleeves is going to continue. Yeah. So Sh- shadows over your transparent sleeves. Yeah. So so let's so let's talk um uh let's talk how like how you would how you go about doing this. So we we talk about it, it's the the act of stopping a match and getting their stuff. Okay. Um which we normally refer to as the the swoop. Well, that's we could stop. We could start a, a second before that. Okay. How do you know which table you're going to? Yep. I'm going table nine. <laughs> <laughs> that's table crazy. nine. Every it's always table nine. It's always, well, that's pretty random. I mean, it's it's always table nine, unless the event has a lot of players. Then it might be table ninety nine. <laughs> right. Right. It's uh no. It's basically the vast majority of your deck tech, deck checks are going to be random. Um. How do you get a random table number? If you are at a large competitive event, your scorekeeper can be can give you a table number because Wizards Event Reporter can generate a a random table for you. And um, at very large events like Opens and GPs, sheets of table numbers with that are printed out are given to the deck checks team so that they can get those. So that's that's one way. And then the second way is that it's okay to do a targeted deck check. And what that means is if you have uh, a reason or any suspicion about something that might be going on with with a deck uh, or a player and the way they're shuffling or their sleeves or really anything that you could catch with a deck check, you can deck check this person. Uh, and rather, you could just deck check the whole table uh, in the next round or, or mid round. Um, and it's OK that to let players know 
not not let those players know specifically that they've been targeted because then they'll feel singled out. But it's okay to let players know that not all deck checks are random in general. Uh, I've had players get really, really upset with me because they thought that we were targeting them. And I had, yes, we were targeting them because we heard something suspicious might be happening. And then we determined it was not happening. But that's what we do when we find out something. We find out somebody thinks something suspicious is happening as we investigate it. Yeah. And it's a, you know, that's how we determine that it, somebody's not cheating is to do a targeted deck check. So somebody, if somebody finds out that, oh, my God, they, they didn't do that randomly, it's okay. Explain to them, you're right, we didn't do this randomly. And we discovered, you know, presuming they're... You discovered they're not cheating. And we discovered that nothing was wrong, which means that everybody's doing their job correctly today. Yeah. Let's let's just run by a, a real quick scenario. Uh, so I'm a player. I come up to Jess and I say, hey, my last round opponent, okay, um, I think he's uh, – I, I think he's running five copies of a card. Mm-hmm. Or um, I noticed all of his basic lands were bowed. Or something were foil and bowed. So I tell I tell Jess this, and and Jess gets it. And what well, what's Jess gonna do? He's gonna act on it. Probably he's not gonna. He's probably not gonna be like, ah, I'm sure it's fine. Right. And the only way to act on it is to do a deck check. You you can't go up to a, a player and go, Hey, so um, I heard you're playing five copies of Cryptic Command. Are you playing five copies of Cryptic Command? <laughs> <laughs> Shoot straight with me. Right, yeah, the the way you find this out is you wait for them to shuffle and present their deck, and then you go, hold on, guys. And and actually, that leads us right into how you swoop. So, Brian, you were about to talk about that. Yeah, so so swooping swooping is after, after you get your, your, random, your random table number from Whir, or if Whir didn't spit it out, it's quite acceptable to just, eh, 9, eh, 13, eh, 28. You know, if, if you can't wait for the software then it's fine to make up your own random number, but yep. to swoop. So when, when you swoop, okay, it's, you are out on the floor, just like every other judge. Now at a large event, you're normally going to go out in pairs. And the reason why you go out in pairs is because the beginning of the match, when they, when they announce the start of time, that's when the majority of judge calls are opponents aren't showing up. Players have a problem. Hey, they, they wait to, for round just so they can go to the bathroom you know but you go out in pairs because what happens is you're going to be swooping at, at, at table nine and one judge someone's going to get distracted by another judge call so you go out you go out in pairs um and what you do is you're out there with the with the the, the judges who are passing out slips uh you're or just watching matches you're 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 out there on the 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 floor uh, you want to hang out near the table that's uh, that's shuffling up that you're going to be swooping on. You don't want to hover right behind them uh, because that kind of uh, uh, sends out, starts sending out alerts of "Hey, I'm going to deck check. Hey, I'm going to deck check." So, so be some distance away. Uh, I've seen as many as like ten tables away uh, where you just sit there and you watch uh, uh, them shuffle. Uh, it's a good idea to watch them shuffle so you can get an idea of did they pile shuffle. For for example, um, if when you deck check a person, you find fifty nine cards in their deck, uh, that's an illegal deck. One of the one of the questions, and there's an argument with the player. Oh no, I didn't present a fifty nine card deck. I pile shuffled before I presented to my opponent. and I counted. Well, if you didn't watch how they shuffled, uh, you. 
might not be able to uh, uh, refute that if, if it's not something that they really did. So pay attention to how they shuffled. Did they pile shuffle? Did they riffle shuffle? Did they mass shuffle? Those kind of things. You don't have to count and have exact counts of how many times. But Furthermore, though, you can. And if, you, if you're watching them pile count their deck, it's really easy to count along with them. Sure, but I, I guess I guess the problem is is like if you if you lose count if you're like three sure, four yeah. and then you forget it's not a big deal that you're yeah, like ah, more, they did it more than four times, right? Uh, uh, so pay attention to how they how they shuffle. Um, obviously, you, there there is a trade off. The closer you are, the better attention. The more detail you can see in how they shuffle. However, the closer you are, there's also the more likely that they can tell that you're watching them as well. So you kind of have to find your own balance. Then when they present, that's when you go in and swoop and you just go, you just come in and say like table nine, you know, you come up with table nine. I need you guys to stop. You've been selected for a deck check. Um, can I please get your, uh, your decks and your sideboards together? Um, one other thing that you can do that you can, you can watch for that doesn't happen a whole lot in the United States is presenting your sideboard. Uh, that's a thing that when you present your deck, you're actually also supposed to present your sideboard. Like this is my 60 and this is my 15. Yep. Um, 14 or 12 or 14 or 12 or two or zero. Um, and, and what that and then so we we gather up all all of your stuff now when when presenting your sideboard i guess when we actually get into the uh, deck deckless problem description that'll become more relevant uh why you might want to present your sideboard separately uh but you definitely want to want to want to get in you want to stop them you want to stop them preferably before the opponent has the opportunity to shuffle because that will give you the opportunity to see any uh, uh, deck stacking irregularities uh, you most definitely want to stop them before they draw their opening hands or start making mulligan decisions or anything like that normally it's a bad idea uh to deck check after people have, have drawn their opening hands. Yeah. Uh, because when you do, when you actually do the deck check, the chance of destroying that opening hand, uh, I mean, there's, there's a non-zero chance you're going to, you're going to oops, screw up and put their hand in with their deck. And then what are you going to do about that? Yeah. And that's the, why the most I... common. The, the, usually you don't uh, do that unless you have a, a suspicion that you're checking out when you check the deck. And, well, and that, that can happen where you, you know, if, if you're like, well, I need to check this for reasons and I need to check it right now, it's okay to do that after they have their hand. Right. You but if you're just... make sure you keep the hand intact. Yeah. These are the six cards they had in hand. You're getting the same six cards back. Right. But if you're, if you're deck checking just because that was the random table that came up on, on, the, on the list, and by the time you get to them that they've, they've already drawn their opening hand... Mm, Pick another table. Yep. Yeah. To be honest, for me, uh, even if it's a targeted deck check, unless it's like really egregious and I just I really believe they might have a problem. <clears throat> um, if they've drawn that opening hand, I'm like, well, get them next round then. Uh, it's I can't think of any situation where I've actually taken a deck after they've drawn their opening hand. I usually I think just, I've, only, I've only done it a couple of times. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah. So you 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 know, so. You wait for them to pres- uh, wait for them to present, and then you you step in from one table down, two table down. Um, hey guys, I need your your decks and your deck boxes. Um, so 
it's normally they're gonna they're gonna put their decks in their deck box. They're gonna hand them to you. Uh, some other things to notice: uh, what color sleeves and which side. You know whose deck is whose. You know if you're given if you're given like a blue box and a red box, you're like all right. Uh, you know you get the match slip and you 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 go like okay, the blue is player one, the red is player two. Because you'll get into you'll get into fun situations like at hey the RPTQ that I had this weekend. Um, uh, table was swooped on. They both had white sleeves in b- the exact same black monster deck box, and they were running similar lists. So those things can happen. Pay attention because uh, it will save you time when you when you start you know comparing. You you don't want to mix up, and you definitely don't want to give the wrong deck back to the wrong player. Right. And now one thing to note: most of the time. And there are different theories about this. I know, Brian, you said to get their deck in their deck box and have them put their put their deck back in the deck box. Um, personally, I prefer not to have them do that um, because once what I prefer to have the judge stop them, take their deck and ask for their deck box. Uh, and that way that way the player doesn't have the, the opportunity to damage their own cards or mess with the sleeves even by accident. Uh, if we're pulling it out of the box and going, oh, this card, is, the, the sleeve is messed up. Uh, we we can't always be sure that that wasn't because they put it in their box awkwardly, um, especially if the box is full of cards. Sometimes things can get damaged, and we can avoid that by just picking up the deck itself. Hey, um, I, I like it. I like it if you're swooping by yourself. I like it to be in the box because then I'm not carrying. I'm not holding two big stacks. And like if you have a stack of deck, uh, like a, a sleeved deck, you mm-hmm. run the risk of like you know. Cards spewing all over. Cards the place. spewing yeah. all over the place. And that's the disadvantage of that as well. Right. So, so I guess the the there's pros and cons to either. Find out which way works for you. That's um, going to be a message throughout this this episode, I think. Yeah. What? And and one other one other super super big part of of the swoop is uh, uh, looking at the time on the clock. That's the most important thing. Like, yeah. Actually, like. If you're going to do deck checks, drill that in your head. In fact, if you're going to do take judge calls, drill that in your head. Look at the clock. That's very true. Yeah, when you stop them, look at the clock. I'd, I'd actually argue that remembering the table number is more important than looking at the clock. <laughs> I disagree. No? Actually, because usually... Yeah, if, you know, I, if I swoop the wrong table, we can get their lists. No, no, if no. I, no. I'm saying when you're bringing it back, you're just like, I don't remember. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's not knowing the table number when you bring it back. Right. Was it 453 or 350? I, um... Well, it happens with that. If the judge is standing there looking lost, the players will, like, wave at him. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah <we're> <laughs> Especially at a legacy event. Right. right. Hey, we're over here. It was us. <laughs> yeah, we want our I things back. Like, I, 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 oh, man. Man, <laughs> never mind. Um, so, anyway, uh... Yeah, pay attention to the table number. Pay attention to the clock. Get at least one player's name. Like, yeah. These are three details that will save you so much time and some embarrassing situations when it yeah. when it comes to a deck check. Yeah, that's right. that's the one that I wanted to, I wanted to expand on a little bit is the player's name because uh, you may not always have a match slip out, particularly if it's right. the beginning of a round, particularly if it's a really big event. Um, mm-hmm. You're probably not going to have a match slip there. So whenever I take the two decks... I always ask, I just ask one of the players, what is your name? And then I know the deck in my left hand is that player's. So by deduction, I know the other deck is the other player's. Yeah, but sometimes they don't realize you're doing that. It gets a little awkward when you're like, excuse me, what's your name? And he goes, I'm Matt. And you're like, okay, thanks. You start to walk away and they go, the other guy's like, I'm I'm Bob. Yeah, don't and they care? do that. And I'm like, thanks, Bob. But I don't <laughs> really care. <laughs> I don't but... <laughs> 
Don't say I don't really care. Please don't. I don't say it to them. I'm telling you all in this private conversation that we have every other week that I don't really care what the other person's name is. But I just say thanks, Bob. You're just a table number to me. <laughs> uh, so. That actually right. does sound like something I would say. Thanks, Bob. You're I don't just, care. Or you're just you're a table just, number to me. You're just a table number. <laughs> yeah, don't worry about it. You're just a table number to me. It's a list of cards. Okay, okay, CJ. So let me ask you: Now that you've got you've got that that deck in your hot little hands, mm -hmm. uh, what do you do with it? All right. So from there, I'm going to take it to a secluded location. Uh, usually, this is your judge area, but if your judge area is right next to table one and you're deck checking table one, perhaps you want to take it somewhere else for this particular round. But you want to take it somewhere where you can spread out the cards and not be worried about the players you're deck checking seeing the decks. Right. And if it's your store, if it's your local store, you know, uh, then your deck check area might very well be the counter. Yeah. Where are you oh, guys? Man, we had the best deck check area at GP Madison. It, it, it was so like they had this this room just off the, the convention hall that clearly like used to have a bunch of payphones there. And so there was there were a bunch of standing counters where you could stand and do deck checks. And it was super convenient. At, uh, at, GP, at GP Atlanta for the for the modern event, we were like, oh, well, this, the judge area is way over there. So, you know, way, way far away. So we need a deck check area that's impromptu. Hey, there's this table over there that no one seems to be using. Let's just take that and move it over. So we went over, got the table, and then moved it. And when we were going back to get the chairs, the EMT showed up and he's like, hey, where'd my table go? No. And we're like, oh, EMT's table. Yeah, we That's took low, the EMT. Brian. Yeah, it is. It is. So we had, we brought the table back, and we were like, "Sorry, we took your table. Here's your <laughs> table back. I guess we'll we'll just do it standing at the stage." Yeah, that was SCG. <laughs> yeah. So so our deck check area was the stairwell of the stage. Yeah. <laughs> we went from best deck check area to worst deck check area. <laughs> right? Yeah. Right. All right. So and what you're trying to do with the deck check is make sure that the deck matches the deck list now if you're with a partner maybe one of your partners already pulled the list or your team lead has pulled the list uh if it's a smaller event you know maybe you pulled it while people are sitting down whatever at some point you got you got the lists out or, or somebody got the list out for you and you want to make sure that the deck in your hand matches what was written down on the list uh if, if this is a mid-round deck check meaning uh, all, everything we've said about deck checks is basically identical for mid-rounds. You do the exact same thing, except for a mid-round, you just walk around and you look for anyone that's presenting or about to present or shuffling up for game two, and you just go and deck check them. So if it's a mid-round, you're making sure that the combined, all the cards in the deck and the sideboard match all the combined cards in the list, but you are not de-sideboarding that deck, and under no circumstances should you ever de-sideboard that deck. So let me ask you a question uh, that, that something is different uh, about about mid rounds. How late is too late to sort of You will get very uh, varying answers on this one. Um, but I think somewhere around 30 minutes is generally everybody's line yeah. for too late. Yeah. yeah. Uh, now, the drawback of this is that the, the, the mono red guy is more likely to get a mid round deck check. <laughs> yes. <laughs> generally. Control players. But then again, the model red guy is generally not going to use the time extension we're going to give them. So, yeah, it kind of works out. So so that's that's kind of why uh, if, if you think about it, we're going to be given an extension. So I'll just say, let's say a 10 minute extension for doing this deck check. If I give you a 10 minute extension, if I return the deck at 40 minutes into the round and you get a 10 minute extension, uh, 
odds of you using that 10 minute extension are actually yeah, pretty good that you're not going to use it. Um, if I deck check you, if I swoop in and take your deck with 10 minutes in the round and I bring it back to you at zero minutes into the round and I give you a 10 minute extension, what are the odds of you using all of that 10 minute extension? Well, it's pretty actually extremely high that you're going to use a good chunk of that. Right. And so, and so that's kind of why we, we have a, a, uh, we have to weigh the, uh, the advantages of doing a deck check versus how much it's going to delay the event because right. we and, do have to give an extension. And remember, um, that some people might argue that, well, that gives cheaters the opportunity to, uh, to, to, to cheat. And remember that, that we are not the primary goal of deck checks is deterring cheaters, not catching them in the act. Although we would gladly catch them in the act if that's what happens, um, our primary goal is to deter cheaters by being visible doing deck checks, and we can accomplish that without without delaying the tournament significantly. Yep. And so, since we're on the topic of mid-rounds, because I don't think we'll be on that topic again, um, a question I got, I used to ask a lot even, to be honest, is why do we even do mid-rounds? Because, like I mentioned, we're not checking for a failure to de-sideboard there because they've already sideboarded. I was like, I was like, what are we even gaining from these mid-rounds? And, um, it might have even been you, Brian. I don't remember. It was someone in Florida. You all look the same. Um, <laughs> but the explanation was pretty simple. It was like, if if we didn't do mid-round checks, then players would know after we did the initial deck check, if they wanted to cheat, uh, they basically could with impunity. Like, I mean, right. they know we're not going to check them again until the next round. Uh, yeah. And once that was explained to me, I was like, oh, you know, it actually makes a lot of sense. <laughs> it does make a lot of sense. It's actually the exact reason why at the large events we started doing deck checks round one uh, is because yeah. players players learned that we didn't do deck checks round one. We were busy counting lists. So what we do? We started doing deck checks round one. Yeah. So even so now, you know, even if I don't have to do mid rounds, I do actually try to at least pepper one or two in there just just to show that nobody is safe. Right. You have a you have a 30 you have a 30 person event. That means you need to check three deck checks. Um you could do two beginning of round checks but but and and get, you know, four decks and have, you know, 15% or something like that. But doing one beginning of round next, you know, next round do a mid round or something like that. You want to you want to keep it you want to keep it so that they don't you don't get into the habit of no, we only do start around deck checks because players notice patterns. Right. Okay. So Performing a deck check. This is this is one of the things where I think a lot of people do it differently, and you really just have to find the means that works best for you. Um, my personal method, and it's great that I'm going first because uh, Brian taught me this, is to oh. for constructed. Um, I do it slightly different than Brian taught me because I found that a way slightly different was faster for me. Um, but what I like to do is look at the bottom right. Actually, what I like to do is take out the lands first. I, I find that I'm, I can quickly take out the lands, set those aside, and then I look at the bottom right, and if there's a symbol there, so if there's power and toughness or the little planeswalker box, I can quickly sort those out and set those aside, and then I, my final pile is just spells. And uh, from there, I'm able to sort each of those individual piles out into uh, smaller piles, usually by converted mana cost, I think is how I normally do it, um, and then check those off against the list so when i see that these two cards are on the list i take them i set them face down somewhere in a pile that i kind of just build up as i go okay that's that's how i do it and i'm, I'm gonna be honest i'm not the fastest deck checker I, so many people are so much faster than me I, I think uh 
I think this is where something where if you actually play magic, it helps you a lot because they, I, I would agree with that. Yeah. They recognize other people recognize cards a lot faster than I do. Well, not just recognizing cards, but like your your method that you just described. Well, it works a lot of the time. The older the format is, the more likely you're run, you are to run into decks that are just high densities of creatures and planeswalkers or high densities of spells. Yeah. And your initial sort doesn't really catch much. I, and, and I do change. Yeah, OK. I do change my sort a little bit based on the deck. But this, this is my default. Uh, yeah, the only point I was making, I'm sure you change it if you recognize the pattern because that makes sense. But uh, a player who plays a lot in a format might recognize within the first few cards that this is the case. Sure. Uh, whereas someone else might not. That's all I meant by that. Yeah. That's yeah. Fine. So do you all have different methods? Uh, so, yeah, I, I well, I have a, a similar, but I guess it's it's different enough when I sit down with the deck. Uh, so the, the first thing I do is I turn it on its side, look, you know, check the sleeves and stuff like that. But when I when I break it down, when I sort it, I do three piles Okay, I do land, and this is similar. I do lands, uh, creatures, planeswalkers, and then spells. Other in, into simultaneously into three piles. Now this is this is assuming now if the deck list is sorted a particular way, like some people write all their stuff down in converted mana cost, and if that's the case, I'll switch. So I I look at the list first to see how it's sorted, and I will bias my sort to however it's written. If it's just this big pile of whatever written down in whatever order, then I'm going to sort the method that I'm describing. Um, so then I sort I sort that way, and then I break it down with lands with so many dual lands. I just look at the color of the text box, you know. So gr- all green black dual lands go into one pile. And so that way I don't even have to like look at the art on the card or anything like that. I just, I just, I can out of the corner of my eye, see a color scheme and know a pile. And I don't even have, I can already be like looking at the second card while I'm placing the first one down in a pile. Cause I'm so using where, Yeah. Where, where do ally encampment and cavern of souls go? Uh, I mean, those are, those are, uh, like, uh, those are gold or gray or something like that. They go in that pile. Oh, okay. <laughs> Right. Like if it's if it's if it's a single if it's two tone, it goes in the pile with all the two tone stuff. If it's one tone, okay. it goes in the pile with the one tone stuff. If it's a island, it goes with the and uh, it goes in there. And then I can just you know, I can just pick up a stack of seven cards or eight cards and be like, yep, that's right. And mark that on the list. You know, you can just for me, it's all about being able to, like, look at a group of, like, six or seven cards all at the same time and just be like, this is this is three and three and four and this is two, two and two. And this is 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 that. And I can I can mark those off the list quickly. The other thing that having that uh, is I've noticed uh, a few times um, uh, you can actually detect patterns like if there's issues with sleeves. By by having them, you know, lands uh, uh, one particular deck check we did. Uh, I did. I noticed all of the dual lands were in a sleeve that was slightly smaller. So it was a sixty card deck. Uh, all ten of his dual lands were in a sleeve that was slightly smaller, and his sideboard was also in sleeves slightly smaller than the other fifty. And when talking to him, uh, well, he just he just he bought like a, a, a pack of sleeves. It was two packs of fifty. And he didn't shuffle them up or anything like that. And when I was when I was talking to him, I was like, "How'd you how'd you sleep? You know, when'd you get the sleeves?" He's like, "Oh, I bought them this morning." And I'm like, "Yeah, these are pretty new. How'd you sleep up?" And he's like, "I did it this way." And I'm like, "Well, that matches the exact pattern that I just found with your sleeves." 
yeah, so let's have a little bit more of a talk. But um, but by sorting it that way, you can you can see patterns that you might not have been able to see if uh, if the deck was all you know all randomized. What you got, Jess? Uh, not much in addition to what you guys have said. Uh, two things I'd like to stress um, are definitely checking the sleeves. I see too many judges do a deck check without ever really looking at the back of the cards. Uh, yeah. So, so definitely checking the sleeves to see if they're too beat to be playing or if there are any noticeable marks or anything along those lines. And then the second thing is before you shuffle the deck or break it out of order, just take a quick look through it. Um, you know, don't don't be too uh, take too much time looking for it. But if you if you observed that they only pile counted or something, it would be wise to look through it and see if there's a noticeable pattern of some kind. Um, and, uh, beyond that, what you guys already said makes the most sense. Just find the way that works best for you, whether that's, and for the deck you're sorting, whether that's converted mana cost or, or whatnot. Now in limited, um, I, I try to sort by the list, uh, yeah. the, the limited deck list that they filled out so that it's as close as possible to like, it's going to be by color to start with, for example. So right. as close as possible to what's on the list. And then, uh, and then I can just once I have them sorted, um, I I just go through the colors and and knock them out one at a time, right? Like he's got one of these and one of these and one of these, and, and then take them off the list. Um, yeah. But uh, with constructed, like I usually sort them out by converted mana cost, unless it's one of those decks that only plays like one, two, and three drops. There's a there's a deck check method that uh, that Michael Fortino does. He's a he's a judge in Tampa. He's extremely quick with it, and it blows my mind. He's able to riffle through the deck, and he like he's able to just pull out like he almost does a, a card at a time. In the sense, he's like, if he's looking at a modern deck, he'll like riffle through and he'll pull out the four Tarmogoyfs, and then he'll riffle through it again and he'll pull out the four of you know of this card, and he'll riffle through it again and he'll pull out the four of this card. And even though, like, I look at it and I was like, that should be really inefficient because you're just going through the the deck over and over and over again. He's somehow able to do it amazingly fast. And I've seen a few other judges do it uh, with with some success, and it's always blown my mind. That yeah. they're able to do that. Yeah, I was going to bring up that I, I do kind of a subset of that for um, limited because limited is so many one-offs. Um, what I will generally do is just sort by color, so mm-hmm. I just have piles of color, and then generally, since you know you, you have a forty-card deck and seventeen of that was lands, you can just go through that pile of color really fast and just find the card you want and uh, repeat that, and it gets faster the more you do it because you're taking cards out. Uh, one, one thing I do slightly different if I'm doing, if it's a mid round, so it's after they've sideboarded, um, I'll actually tend to take the 15 cards of the sideboard and just make a line with it, you know, kind of like fan them out to have a line so that as I'm going through the, going through the list, I can, I, I have full visibility of the cards that are in the sideboard. So if I have, you know, three of a card here and I look on the list and it says I should have four. I can just glance and see it in the sideboard and goes like, okay, there's my fourth. And you can just continue on without breaking a whole lot of stride. All right. So at larger events, we also take this deck check time opportunity to count the list. So make sure it has at least 60 cards. If it's constructed at least 60 cards and no more than 15 in the sideboard and all that kind of stuff. My question is, have you guys accepted this for smaller events? Cause I haven't really had the opportunity 
accepted what do you mean by accepted do, do you count all the lists at your smaller events like oh or, or do you just do it up front or do you count a list when you have when you do the deck check or what like so far for me at like a pptq i just i just count we just count all the lists at some point because there's usually like what 20 30 we can just count them all it, it's not a big deal uh yeah as long as you're not uh as long as you're not putting off your deck checks and not doing them in the first round because of the fact that you're counting the lists, right. I think it's totally acceptable to count all the lists in, in an event that has a small attendance figure. Uh, the larger the, att- the the larger the number for attendance get gets, uh, the more manpower is necessary to count all the lists, and you get into a situation where you can't do the deck checks, or if you do, it just takes a lot of judges off the floor for a long time to count yeah. all the lists. And and the more that is true, the less inclined I would be to do it. Right. Yeah, at, at GPs uh, two years ago, the manpower necessary to to count all of the lists at the beginning of the event was massive. You you needed all of the deck check team and probably all of the paper teams so that the only people on the floor was just the floor team, and it was a uh, uh, it was bad times for for floor coverage because first round of a large event is normally one of the larger rounds. Right. Right. When you need the most bodies. So and that point is especially true for events that aren't GPs where they don't have a lot of buys. Yeah. If you have a if you have a random 5K or right. something along those lines. Uh, so you've got 200 players and you've got four judges. Uh, you can't afford to take two of those judges off the floor for an entire round. Right. Exactly. Um, okay. Yep. So remember earlier when we said that you need to check the time on the clock. That is because your total deck check time should take no more than seven minutes. Uh, once again, this is because we're going to be giving an extension at the end here, and, uh, and we always give an additional three minutes. We'll talk about that in a little bit. So we don't want to give more than a 10-minute extension. So if you're doing a deck check and seven minutes have elapsed since you took that deck, just pack it all yep. up and take it back. Like, just just be done. Uh, we don't want to just get into the habit of doing 12-minute or whatever extensions because those those extensions can affect the entire event. Yeah. So, so if you can get it back, and with the three-minute extension, you are you are at ten minutes. Mm-hmm. If you had to give that a letter grade, like you were in school, I would give that a C. Yes. Okay. If you can get it back in eight minutes with an eight-minute extension, that's an A, and anything over ten minutes is an F. Yes. Yep. It should always be, unless you're. I mean, obviously, unless you're handling a problem or something like that. But in general, it should always be a ten-minute extension for a deck check. So. Uh, along those lines, if, if you're like me and you're a little slow and you're at a PPTQ and you're by yourself and you can only check one deck in that time limit, that's okay. Like, I still swoop, I still take both decks, but in general, I, I'm only fast enough to check one deck, particularly because there's usually a, maybe a judge call at the start of the round two or something like that. Um, so it's okay if you can only check one, right? You're just trying to hit that 10%. So if you have a 30-person event and you're solo... You still only have to check three decks. You can do that over three rounds. You're going to have plenty of time. Um, However, I do like to go ahead and try to sort the second deck, even if I don't have enough time to actually check it. I do try to sort it if I if I do have that time available to me. I normally try and check the sleeves in the sideboard. Yeah, yeah, that's true, too. Yeah, checking the sideboard is always kind of a because you can do it very quickly. Right. And so it's a really quick way to find if somebody maybe didn't decide board or anything like that. So checking the sideboard, right. uh, checking the sideboard first, even in your regular deck checks, isn't a bad idea. Because if there's a problem, there's already a problem and you, you can start handling it. So, so the absolutely absolute worst feeling, okay, 
is when you do a deck check and you find an issue and you kind of sit there and you, you, you look at the sleeves, you do an investigation, and it turns out everything's fine. And so you end up having to give like a 17-minute extension or something that. along those lines. Oh, that's the worst. Yeah, when you, you count it three times, bit. you got 59 cards every time. And, and, it just, and you bring it, it over to the side. <laughs> yeah. yeah, or... or uh, or, or you find a problem that looks like it might be it might be marked cards, it might have an upgrade, it might not. You talk to the head judge, you pull that in, you kind of spend a little bit of time discussing, and you you end up with the conclusion that it's just a warning. Uh, yeah, those those extensions can. So so I, I want to just be clear. Sometimes when you do a deck check, you are also going to find you know potential issues, and you are going to spend time investigating those issues. Uh, keep in mind when you are investigating those other issues that the clock is always running in San Dimas. Um, sure. You, <laughs> what? You, I, I, I don't know. I didn't get it either. I was just, it's yeah. A, it's I a villain just... Ted's, it's a villain Ted's excellent adventure reference. Sorry, you've already, it's been a while. Yeah, it's, you've already, you've already spent time doing the deck check. So it's, it's not like, um, you know, the total extent, it, it's not like, you have a separate clock somehow it's you've already got whatever your investigation time is already being tacked on to a deck check extension so you need to be extra aware of the time that you are using to perform whatever actions or do whatever investigation that you are doing absolutely okay so let's talk about returning the decks and let's say if nothing's wrong i'm gonna go i'm gonna say my normal spiel and I'm curious to see if you all um, disagree with it or agree with it or, or whatever, because truth is I was taught deck checks when I was a level zero and they haven't changed that much since then. So maybe there maybe there's somewhere I could learn. Um, so well, I was a young whippersnapper. I know I was I was on the floor and I was like, what's a deck check? This is my first competitive event. But those are other times. We don't do things like this anymore. Um, <laughs> so if there's nothing wrong with the decks, which is going to be most of the time, there's nothing wrong. Uh, I, I take the deck backs and I do a, hey guys, everything was good with the decks. And I like to lead with that because they're nervous, right? Um, I'm going to give you all a seven minute extension because that's how long the deck, deck check took plus an additional three minutes because your decks haven't soared and you need to shuffle thoroughly. Now, usually when I say that seven minute extension, they start to go, <gasps> but then I throw in the three minutes and I, I'm doing the three minute as a separate thing there just to make it really clear that, hey, your decks have been short, sorted and you need to shuffle. Uh, I'm making that a very explicit point to them because um, as a general judging rule, it's, it's always somebody at your event. Generally, there's somebody who it's their first event and they have no idea why you just took their decks away. Uh, that's why you need to be explicit at the start when you take the decks too. You don't, you don't want to just walk up and be like deck check, which I've seen. Um, you know, you got to <laughs> say, why are you there? You want what do you want them to do? You know, I mean, it's always somebody's first time. There's just some guy in black walks up and says, give me that. Give me those. Yeah. Uh, no. 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 I'll pass. <laughs> yeah. No. I'm. I'm not. I'm not keeping my day. Oh. Uh, oh. 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 This is great. Oh. Uh, one of the first GPTs I did, I went up to a table and told them that I, I, you know, hey guys, you've been randomly selected for a deck check, and one of the players looked at me and said, "No thanks." <laughs> <laughs> and I was just like, "What? No. <laughs> no, you can't say no thanks. Give me that." So I mean. Do you all say something different? Uh, I mean, it's all the same information, really. Um, yeah. Like, uh, everything was good with your decks. Uh, I usually, actually, 
before I say that, I I usually thank them for their for waiting. Yeah, that's thank good. You, thank you guys. Th- thank you for your cooperation and waiting. Uh, everything was great with your decks. Um, you are going to get this much of a time extension, which is the amount of time that that check took plus three minutes for shuffling. Um, your decks have been sorted, so you need to shuffle your decks thoroughly. Um, good luck to both of you, or something along those lines. Cool. Yeah. Um, but I I agree with clarifying the extra three minutes. Uh, I agree with with letting them know right off the bat that that everything was good with their decks, unless it wasn't. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, I think that 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 all makes sense. Um, sometimes. Uh, you know, I might change that up a little bit depending on the situation. So if, if when I started this deck check, somebody at the table was just like, why are you taking my deck? I've never been to a competitive event before. I might explain what a time extension is, right? Like, you're going to have this much of a time extension. So when that clock hits zero, it'll start counting up and you have until it gets to this point before you start your additional five turns or something along those lines. Um which just takes a second to explain and clarifies what is happening because they're already experiencing a weird situation. Um, but otherwise, yeah, it's all the same information. Um, but absolutely give the extension and absolutely give the extra time for shuffling. Um, and, and, you know, remind them that they need to shuffle uh, for a mid-round deck check. Remind them that the cards that they sideboarded um are still in their deck. Yes, that's yeah. very important. Uh, and they can't so sideboard they, again. You can't sideboard again, exactly. Yeah. You get that question a lot because they've had 10 minutes to think about their sideboarding and maybe they want to change it. And it's like, yeah. no, no. Right. So so for, I, I add that in for a mid-round deck check. Yeah, it's a good point. Uh, it's just the sideboarding thing. But, yeah. yep. All right. So so I'll just walk up and be like, hey, which one of you had Jeskai Guy Black? Oh, okay, you? Okay, here you go. <laughs> All right. So that, I'm kidding. That's kidding. an Don't example do that. of what not to do. Don't do that. Yeah, obviously, through all this, we don't want to give any information about the deck. Uh, so uh, that includes, by the way, if something goes wrong and you're writing a penalty on a match slip, yep. you should you should not, absolutely should not write any card names or archetypes or information about the deck itself on the back of the match slip. Yeah, I mean, if the opponent didn't know about it, right? Yeah. Like, it's it's different. It's different if it's if it's like you know, played Jeskai Ascendancy for wrong mana. Okay, yeah. that happened. That's visible. You can write Jeskai Ascendancy all you want to on the back of that match slip. But if the problem was he said he was playing three copies and he was really only running two, and you write, you know, misregistered number of Jeskai Ascendancies. Right. Uh, that player can then pick up that, the opponent can pick up that match slip and be like, oh, you know, he's got, you know, two copies of Jeskai Ascendancy or three copies of Jeskai Ascendancy in his deck. Right. Good exactly. to know. Thanks, bro. So what what happens if there is a problem though? What what would you all do? Uh, beatings. No. Nor- normally normally I I bring um, so this is me. Uh, I come back and I was like, all right, uh, you know, Michael, here's your deck. There was no problems. Uh, Jake, uh, can I speak to you away from the table, please? You mm-hmm. know, and bring them over to the table, and then you normally ask you know one or two leading you know one or two questions to to kind of see uh, if if get a sense of whether or not this was an issue or not that you might need to look into further, you know, but assuming that everything kind of checks out and you think it's a, a an, an honest error, then you just kind of like, all right, so here's, here's what we found during the deck check. We found you've got 16 cards in your sideboard or you had an extra card in your deck box, or you've only got 59 cards or you wrote down this, but you're playing that, um, you know, or something along the, or we've only got 59 cards on your list. 
and you've got you know 60 cards in your deck you know and then you work with them to cor- to figure out what the problem is and to correct it um right so like if they're missing a card you help have them help you figure out which one it is because they know their deck better than you do yeah yep. and ideally the deck is still sorted from when you mm-hmm. checked it so yep should be quick you, usually players know like pretty quickly i I mean, right. I'd say like half the time they, they, they already know. Right. So so then you you resolve the issue. Uh, you explain normally while we're away from the table, I I tell the player, OK, this is what's going to happen. Um, you answer any questions that they have. And then when you go back to the table, you kind of re-explain what's going to go on for the benefit of the opponent. Yeah, that's exactly okay. what I do as well. So so you say you bring them you bring them back to the table and you say, all right. Uh, all right, guys. Um, uh, so what happened here? Uh, I took Jake away from the table uh, to deal with a deck deck list problem. Uh, what that means is um, you guys are going to be starting that he's going to get a game loss uh, as a penalty, which means you guys are going to be starting game two. Uh, that means there is no opportunity to sideboard for this game. If, if it really is game two, if it's game three, whatever. Um uh, and since Jacob is considered to have lost that game, he will get the opportunity to decide whether or not he wishes to play or draw. And then after you explain all that, I normally ask, uh, is all of that clear? Do you understand that? Something something along the line so that I can get an affirmative as to whether or not, yes, they process that information. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I go, all right, well, you guys can get started then while I take care of the paperwork. And I finish filling out the slip and I kind of hang out in the area and make sure that they get started okay. Mm-hmm. Now, in the weird scenario where they've somehow begun their first game when you started the deck check, uh, they they may sideboard uh, because gameplay has already okay. taken place. Yeah. Yes, but I wouldn't have deck checked there. Right, yeah, it's, it's you're probably, it's probably not a real deck check in the, sen- in the traditional sense. It's probably more of like maybe your they- opponent came, your opponent came to us and said that, you know, your oblivion ring was still in his deck. Uh, yeah, or maybe they played so, a card so, that was illegal. For the you know, right, it was recently yeah. banned. Yeah, because that's all still a deck deckless problem, and, and you wouldn't handle exactly. it. Exactly, exactly. Um, so, Brian. Yes. What kind of extension are you giving them? I mean, you just gave them a game loss. They don't need the extension, right? Right. They don't know. No. You don't know. Um, so this, this is actually... Uh, a, had an interesting debate about this a little bit ago uh, with with some European judges. Um, so it is it is uh, my argument that you are giving you are giving the extension the the full. This is how long the deck check took plus the three minutes. Uh, that is the extension that you give, even though there is a game loss. The opponent played for a fifty minute round. They might require that whole fifty minute round mm-hmm. in order for their deck to work. Uh, they should not be shorted from that uh, because they're because of a penalty of their opponent. Now the counter argument is, well, I mean they got they got a win, so how long is an average game? Well, we just gave them that time. You know that's a freebie. That's that's the counter argument. Um, but I think it is it is a more consistent uh, uh, thing to do is to give them the the extension because they yeah. did they paid for a fifty minute round yeah and just like we give the extension for tardiness right so just seven minutes late I one hundred percent agree with that it, yeah. it, it you know if he you know many matches end in two games and if the player who gets the game loss goes on to win two games uh, they may need the entirety of that round to do it yeah that's that's a good point 
Okay, and if both players have a deck deckless problem that both result in game losses, they get a double game loss, but it almost if completely cancels each other out. They just play on as normal. It's as if they never got the game loss at all. You still record it's a, it. It's, it's a push. But it's like they never got the game loss at all. All right. So so we've talked a lot about so that's that's kind of from start to finish, but we haven't really talked about when you're when and we talked about the physicality of of what you're checking when you're doing a deck check. But now let's talk about the the penalty, the infraction. Yes. That's that's related to that. Uh so what what is that infraction well, there, penalty? There are, there are two uh that mainly come with deck checks. Um and really briefly, let me go over the first one, which is marked cards. Okay. Um Anytime you have a situation where uh, sleeves are severely beat up or messed up in some way um, or double-faced cards are showing through sleeves that aren't opaque or anything where cards are somehow distinguishable from other cards, you have a marked cards infraction. Now, most of the time, this is just going to be a warning. Um, If it's something that they could gain an advantage from by noticing the pattern, then it can be upgraded to a game loss. Um, but this is not a situation um, where that, that game loss is treated any differently than the deck deck was problem that we're about to discuss. It's treated exactly the same way. So, yeah, what is a deck deckless problem? And uh, we've actually touched on it a lot while we've spoken. So I'm going to kind of breeze through this a little bit. But it's effectively something is illegal about the deck or the deck list or both are legal, but they don't match each other. I mean, that's a deck deckless problem. So uh, if the deck or deck list has an illegal number of cards for the format, so like if you have a 59 card deck or you register five bear cubs in a constructed deck, um, now this is totally legal and limited. You can have five bear cubs if you're playing three kingdoms limited. Portal limited. Yeah. And I recommend going all in on that strategy. But Best format ever. Yeah. Um, if your deck or deck some list, detours, man, some detours, some, some detours. <laughs> if your deck or deck list has cards that are legal for the format, so uh, I believe Treasure Cruisers recently banned in Legacy. Yeah. Okay. And uh, <laughs> Jewel your Bird, soul, your soul ring, Jewel Bird. You know, is illegal. Um, <laughs> you can't play that. Um, oh, no. oh, you come, you come up, uh, you come up to two players, and they're they're playing under the table. And you go, why? And they point to enter the dungeon. Yes. <laughs> maybe like, you what? play a uh, card that, or maybe you play a commander card in standard. You know, one of the new commander cards, they they are not legal for standard. They are legal for legacy. Or maybe so you're playing in modern. Here's the question about enter the dungeon. Can you end their sub game because the deck's not legal? <laughs> 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 yes. <laughs> <laughs> I just my my brain absolutely refused to process that question. I just had to start laughing. Can you you just come up and you're like, what are you guys doing under under the tables? We'll process the game loss as soon as we're done with this sub game. Yes, there you go. Well, what happens? What does it say? The loser of that game does what now? Is that does does that count for the enter the dungeon game loss? Enter okay. Enter enter the dungeon. Is a is an uncard uh, for black black. It's a sorcery. Players may play a sub game under the table, starting at five life, using their libraries as their decks. After the sub game ends, the winner searches searches his or her library for two cards, puts those cards into his or her hand, then shuffles the library. So 
Uh, I guess if if you are caught with an enter the dungeon in your deck during the sub game, uh, your opponent will get to, to your opponent will win that sub game, and then when you return back to the on top of the table, he'll get to search his library for two cards. Right? Sure. Uh, no, <laughs> no, well, that's not what happened. No, no not at all. That's saying. Okay, next. <laughs> what are we talking about? <laughs> uh, I'll I'll swoop back to this one real quick, but uh, obviously, like I said, the deck and deck list don't match. Um, if the sideboard isn't kept sufficiently separate from the deck is one, which basically means you're playing and maybe you accidentally shuffle a sideboard card into your deck. Well, that's not the deck you presented to your or opponent. You, or you pick up your sideboard to look at it and then you just put it on top of your hand. Yeah. Like you put your hand down, you pick up your sideboard to look at it, and then you put your sideboard down on top of the hand. Yeah. So one uh, that might not be quite as obvious to everyone, but if, if the card on the deck list is not represented by its full name and it could be more than one card then that is generally a deck deck list problem. So if someone just wrote Angel, right, that's that's going to be a deck deck list problem. There are way too many cards. That's way too ambiguous, uh, you know. Um, but if they just wrote, I know we've talked about Jit, Jite? Yeah. That could be, I mean, I wish they wouldn't, but that's okay. There's only one Jit or Jite in all of Magic right now. So that's, that's not ambiguous. That can't be more than one card. Um, now, there is an exception to this, and that's if what they wrote is the name of a story character. So, but it has to be a unique story character. So, right now, in standard, Jace. If you just wrote Jace, that would be bad, because there are two Jaces in standard. There's Friends Prodigy and uh, the other one, yeah. the Zendikar like, one. <laughs> and, like, like when you started when you started out when Khans was brand new, and Afenza yes. was fine. And then dragons came out with the other Anafenza, and it stopped being fine. Yeah, cons uh, and dragons basically made almost they made a ton of cards that were okay as story characters, not okay. Uh, but right now, like Kiora would be okay or Ob, um, and it doesn't matter. Ob, Ob, Hey man, that's plain. His first name, man. That's his name, Ob. Ob. But hold on, his type is Nixilis. His type is Nixilis. And Nicol Bolas' type is Bolas, but that doesn't matter. Well, I mean... His name is Nickel, and his Ob's name is Ob. No, no, it's just, it's like Mr. It's for dragons. It's, no, it's his Mr. name Bolas. is Ob. It's Mr. Ob is a, is a, is a title. Man. No. Yeah. It's a Mr. title Mr. plus comma of the Black Watch or whatever is it's also... It's Mr. Nixilis, and, and, uh, yeah. I'm gonna make a story ruling here. Ob is his first name. I want oh, back, sir. That is the worst. That's the worst first name ever. So with Kiora, for example, even if there was a card that said like Kiora Serpent or something like that was legal in standard right now, it doesn't matter. If they just wrote Kiora, we are assuming that card is Kiora. Um, obviously, if you do a deck check on that person and the card is not Kiora, the unique Kiora, then that's gonna be a problem. All right, all right. Here's a question for you. CJ, mm-hmm. getting mm-hmm. off a of story or story characters. This is this is a, a truncated name. Goif. Goif. Uh, in Legacy? No, Modern. I mean that, a. Uh, I'd have to double check, but that's not a story character. First off. No, but it's a it's no. a. Well, when we get, I, okay, sorry, I am getting ahead of myself. Yeah, you are getting With, very ahead of yourself. All right, all right, I'll back off. I'll ask, I'll save Goif for later. All right, well, we will circle back to Goif, um, but I'm gonna go on limb and say that's not good. Okay. So that's what a deck deck list problem is. And now how do we fix it? In general, it's going to be a game loss, which I think I think we've alluded to that plenty. Um, there are some exceptions, and we'll talk about those. Uh, for example, one was where I mentioned the story character, right? 
if they write a story character, we're not going to game unless there's no infraction at all there. We we assume Kiora is the Kiora in Zendikar. Or Ob is the Ob in Zendikar. Unless it's not. Yeah. What if... What if, uh, if they're playing if, the Commander Ob? No, what if they're playing like... Uh, oh, Kiora's, uh, Kiora's follower, and they just write Kiora. Yeah, well, yeah, that's and that's what I said earlier. That that would be a problem, right? But yeah, but wait, what uh, what do we do there? Like we mentioned that it's a game loss, but like, what else do we do? Okay, so the general rule is that we want to make the deck list match the deck, right? Right. So if they wrote Kiora's, if they wrote Kiora, we assume that to mean Kiora the Planeswalker, right? right? That that is our base assumption. If they are playing Kiora's follower, then what we're going to do is they are going to receive the game loss because we assumed they were playing Kiora the Planeswalker. And we're going to make the deck list match what they are actually playing in their deck. So we will replace Kiora in their deck list with Kiora's follower. Yep. Cool. So they get to play what they intended to play. Yes, right. they get to play what they intended to play, which was we, not always true, but I'm glad that it right. is. Right. We na- we now assume that between the deck and the deck list, the deck that the player is playing is a better representation of what they actually intended. Yeah. Right. Like if if, <laughs> if the player like he's he's playing and he and he draws a Kiora's follower and he's like, I don't remember putting this in here. That's supposed to be a Kiora Planeswalker. That just doesn't happen. So. Let's uh let's say they have a fifty six card deck, right? And they've registered sixty cards on the deck list. What are you gonna do there? So if they've if they've written sixty cards on the on the deck list yeah. and they have fifty fifty six cards in the in the deck. Yeah, and you talk to them, they're like, Oh, uh I have four Curious followers that I didn't I totally forgot to put into the deck. Okay, you let them put the Curious followers in, or if you can't, then you let them do basic lands. Yeah. And once again, it's going to be a game loss. None of these are exceptions to the game loss. We'll be very clear if it is. Uh, I mean, if you had to take all this time to do this, like, basically we have to give a game loss there. It's just, it's taken up way too much of the tournament's time. Yeah, so that's that's one of one of the reasons, one of the reasons why we, we have penalties as, as severe as they are is there's, there's a, a few reasons. One of them is the amount of time and the amount of disruption to the tournament to fix the the specific penalty. The other one, the other one is some some penalties have to be severe in order to discourage. Uh, we'll we'll uh, we'll say the the good liars from trying to cheat. Um, if it was just if it was just a warning, uh, then people might be encouraged to to try some shenanigans because if they get caught, it's like ah, I'll run the risk. Yeah. So, so the penalty needs to be uh, the penalty needs to be stiff. Um, so, so yeah. So in order in order to fix it, uh, you're gonna you're gonna remove any remove any of the cards that, that aren't legal for the format. Um, you're gonna you're gonna fix any any issues with the sideboarding. Any any missing cards in the deck, you're gonna add those. So like in the case of Kiora, you know he's got 56 cards and he's like, oh, I'm missing, I'm missing Kiora's followers. Well, we give him the option to to replace those to get him to get him back up to the number. Uh, then if and if he can't, well, then he he's got 56 cards. But now, if the if the deck that you've got left is too few cards in order to get it back up to the legal to the legal minimum, you you can add basic lands of that player's choice. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, if later he is able to find four Kiora's followers. Uh, you can you can replace those four basic lands that he added with the with the Kiora's followers. Right. Okay. So if one of the listed cards on the deck list is ambiguous, but the head judge believes it is obvious what the card is, then that's one of the situations. It's not even a downgrade. We just don't give the infraction. Right. Now this this line uh, is a, 
I, I I'm not sure that's quite what it says. I, I think it actually has to be unambiguous. Uh, it can be okay. So it says pretty, it says pretty sure obvious, it has to be both obvious and unambiguous. It does say obvious and unambiguous. Uh, how sure? Now now okay. So this this is one of the the penalty or one of the parts of the infraction where it actually allows judges to use their judges to use their judgment, huh? Okay, so like I would consider if someone wrote down Bob in, on a modern deck list that was able to play black, <laughs> uh, that Bob is is both obvious and unambiguous. Right. Okay. Sure. Because it's obvious because everybody runs into the format and it's unambiguous because everybody calls that card Bob. Right. Yeah. Now, um, now, now, if there were cards named Bob, that would not be as unambiguous. Right. And if it's, and if I encountered this on a legacy list, I would not assume it was Bazaar of Baghdad. <laughs> right. Which also has the, the initials B O B. Okay. So I am, I am fine with considering Bob, uh, both obvious and unambiguous as it exists right now. If they come out with another card next set, you know, uh, Maybe the, Bob Nixilis. Bob Nixilis, yes. Bob Nixilis. <laughs> now, that, that, that being said, um, you know, so so obvious and unambi- unambiguous. Um, you know, blue green shockland is obvious and unambiguous. Yes. Yep. Blue green duel is not if there's more than one blue green duel in the format, even if we know which one it is. Temple of Red White. I've seen that on lists. Temple of Red White. Um, yep. You know, I, I I I've done it to to either to be a little cheeky or just because I've forgotten the name. You're like uh Red White Temple. Yeah, I don't remember which one that is. Yeah. Um or or Painland or, or anything like that that's that's obvious uh and unambiguous is fine. It's when you start to get into, you know, if I'm playing only red white and I say Shockland, it's it's obvious that I'm only playing the red white Shockland, but it is not unambiguous from the way the list is written. Yeah. Right. I like that. And so obvious I mean, basically, the summary of obvious is if you have to do any research, um, like the the most research I'll do is is do a quick check to see if it's a duplicate, see if it's actually this is really a check for ambiguous. Uh, you know, like I said, JIT or GTA earlier, I would just do a quick search for GTA in Oracle. If only one card comes up, then I'm like, fine, it's not ambiguous. Um, how lenient are you guys on the word Urborg in Legacy? So it depends on whether or not you can consider a tomb uh, uh, storyline character. The tomb is not a storyline character. Well, even but if yeah, it there, is. So there's Urborg Tomb of Yawgmoth, and there is a legendary land from Legends called Urborg. Urborg. Right. Is it legendary? Yeah. yeah. I, mean, I've never, I don't think I've ever seen a physical copy of that card. So Really? Yeah. I got one in my EDH. Of course I've got one in my EDH. I think it removes... Uh, I think it removes First Strike. First Strike or Swamp Walk. It's First one Strike. Of those. Is it? Maybe it's both. First Strike's definitely one of them. Urborg. Uh... Target creature loses first strike or swamp walk until end of turn. Nice. We were both right. I thought. <laughs> um, what, what a funny card. But yeah, I mean, if you have to check the deck to see if it's obvious, you know, then that's not obvious, right? That that's basically the rule. If you if you have to, yeah. And, and so so uh, a classic example. Um, I won't call this a classic example, but a real world example is uh, uh, somebody wrote on a uh, there was a deck called a Tarka Red, and somebody wrote on their deck list a Tarka Red instead of a Tarka Command. Mm. Um, and if you know the format, it was very clear that, that the card that they meant to write there was a, a Tarka's Command. Um, was it a command? Anyway, I, I believe it was Tarka's Command. 
And uh, but but if you were not familiar with it, it, it was it was not clear. So uh, obvious and unambiguous, it's important to point out, refers to only what's written on the deck list. You, you shouldn't be going, well, it doesn't make sense for them to play it in this list. So yeah. so it's unambiguous. That's not what that means. Right. Oh, he's he wrote down Urborg in a legacy event, but he's got he's also got Dark Depths. And uh, 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 the two one sack to remove all the counters, vampire hex mage. I think uh, you know the, that right there is also would give you hints, but it is not uh, unambiguous. Right, exactly. So uh, you know, it, then that's why I think the distinction between obvious and unambiguous is there in the IPG. And I know I keep repeating these words uh, is that something can be obvious without being unambiguous. So along these same lines, if it's a limited event, the head judge doesn't have to issue a penalty if they believe the lands were marked incorrectly uh, and it's obvious. So it's a black-white deck and it marks eight planes, nine islands, and it has no blue in the deck. That's pretty obvious they meant to mark swamps there, right? However, it's a black-white deck and it's marked, you know, seven planes, ten swamps, and you're like, uh, this deck would be a lot better if it had ten planes, seven swamps. No, that's not obvious. Like, right. um, yeah, a mono white deck with twelve with eighteen islands, right? That's obvious. They they clearly meant to mark planes. So, and and I think I think would jump jumping back to to obvious. Uh, and this is for the players who are who are listening to this. Um, yes, you would be able. There are some events where you will be able to write down goif when you mean tarmogoyf. And if you get deck checked, the judge the judge will say that's fine. And there are other events where the judge will say that's uh, uh, not speci- that's not a card that's that's ambiguous, and you will get a game loss uh, because this particular obvious clause does r- allow for a little bit of judge discretion and judge decision as and judge judgment as to what's considered obvious or not. So. The safest thing to do for you as a player is to actually write the full card name down. That's not a bad habit to get into. No, yeah, we we gave all these exceptions, but I would I would recommend people just write the full card name. And by the way, I would give Game Loss for Goyf. I just did a quick search in Modern because Lurgoyf was also in Eighth Edition. When was the last time you saw Lurgoyf? Just now. <laughs> also, not relevant to the question. Like that question is completely irrelevant. When was the last time you saw X card? Is yeah. not relevant to how ambiguous it is. Because decks change all the time and new decks come up all the time. Yeah. And like it's, it's, it, you shouldn't have to use, like, whether or not someone gets a penalty shouldn't rely on the format knowledge. Here, here's of a, the here's judge a, who is. So we, I guess we can have a debate on this, but I, I consider Goyf as ubiquitous as Bob. I don't. Bob literally means one thing. Goyf is at least two things. Mm. Mm. <laughs> no, I was, I was saying because it's like no, nah, goif goif is not there. There is no there. There are creatures of lurgoif. Mm-hmm. Okay, that is a if he wrote down lurgoif, then yes, I would say that that is that is uh, ambiguous. Uh, it would be obvious, but not ambiguous, or ambiguous and not obvious, or whatever. Lurgoif is is no, but but goif is is a. Is at like I said, as ubiquitous as Bob is. It is as linked to the card. Uh, anyway, so so yeah. as you can see, there there is not always consensus on right. So the, that's hence write down the full card name. Yeah, just so yeah. write down. All right, let's wrap this bad boy up with just a few more points. Um, so this one's a little weird, but if the sideboard has too many cards listed, so say it has seventeen cards in the sideboard, 
um, listed in the deck list, and they're also actually playing 17 cards in their deck, uh, what you do is you just remove cards from the bottom of the sideboard, working your way up. I guess somebody had to decide where to start, and they decided there. Yeah, you don't get to you don't get to put seventeen cards in your sideboard, and then if you you know if you get deck checked or something like that, then you get to decide after you've played a few rounds and see what the field is yeah, like. Yeah, right. To select which two cards you're gonna no, we're gonna take the ones from the bottom. Yeah, you don't get to pick. It's not your. It's not. This isn't Burger King. You can't have it your way. So, so I mentioned at the very start, or one of us did, that you take their sideboard when you're doing the deck check, and that's that's obviously to check. Uh, and you also want to take their deck boxes. Uh, obviously, that's to check the sideboard, but it's also because if there's extra cards in that deck box and they did not present their sideboard, then we consider any extra cards in that deck box, if they can conceivably be played in that deck, so if they have the enter the dungeon or whatever it's called, uh, that can't conceivably be played, we consider any additional cards in there to be part of the sideboard. So the general flat rule, I wouldn't keep any additional cards in my deck box. Um and let's, let's let's talk about why, though, r- r- real quick. If I've got my 15-card sideboard, mm-hmm. but then I have five other cards that could be played in that deck, mm-hmm. just kind of right behind my si- my 15 cards in the sideboard, when a player goes into his deck box to pick cards out for the sideboard, you're not really paying attention to what specific cards. And I could just very easily just pull uh, a 19th card, the 19th card out, or the 20th card out, and my opponent really doesn't have any way of knowing. He just knows that I've gone into my deck box to get cards out on my sideboard. But he's not really, you know, I've got tokens and and other stuff mixed in there. He's just got a bunch of sleeve stuff. But in reality, he's got extra, extra, I'm doing air quote, sideboard cards in there that he could be pulling from. Yeah. So, so, like, if you have a mono white deck and you have a dark ritual in, in your deck box, I, I wouldn't recommend putting it in there, but okay, fine. It, it, obviously you're not going to be playing this dark ritual but you know if you have a black red deck and you have just a random dark ritual in there and you don't and it's and you're playing in a format where dark ritual is legal um yeah that, that's going to get you in trouble uh but there is there are a few exceptions there are a few cards you can keep in your deck box and that's promotional cards so gp foils you know whatever the current gp foil is or the rptq foil you can keep that in your deck box we we are um we're bright enough to know that you were just given that yeah, it's it's enough of a habit. We we ran into that problem enough of enough of the time at GPs where we were just like, can we can we just not put yeah. this in the IPG? Yeah, because it was really annoying that we would give them this card and then be like, but don't put it in the convenient box you already have to put it in. <laughs> right, you have no other place to put it. Because right, we you, you going to put it in your wallet like. <laughs> Um, if you have a double face card and it's represented by a checklist card in your deck, obviously you can keep that in your deck box. And if you have double face cards that are being used to represent the night side of cards that are in your deck. So you have actual double face cards the, in your deck. The, the back face. Yeah. For, for those cards that don't have a quote unquote night side, like all the yeah. planeswalkers. But that, this was uh, copy and pasted from the IPG. I know that's, that's, <laughs> but you're that right. is actually, that is actually the thing in tournament policy that annoys me the most. Is <laughs> that line. It. Really? That's, that's, yes. nice. that's what that it is. That is the thing that annoys me the most Not- because, because it, it refers to a thing that isn't real. Yeah, that's true. So wait, it does put D- night in quotation marks. DEC involving things that aren't actually drawing extra cards is 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 lower on the list than, than <laughs> that actually, night side. That does not bother me in the slightest. But night side it's, bothers it's you. Easy, it's super easy to explain to players 
why that is the case if they haven't already ha- had the frame of reference of, of how we've been handling DEC for years. It's, it's it, it, this is is dumb. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> All right. So let's talk about the singular downgrade we have. So we've talked a few a little bit about when you just don't give the infraction. Right. But there is one downgrade down to a warning and only one. And it's not just because you feel like it and the player is new and I'm slipping into our episode, our last episode. Okay, if the player draws their opening hand, discovers a deck problem, not a deckless problem, just a deck problem, they can't draw their opening hand and be like, wait, I registered four other cards. <laughs> um, calls it immediately before they do anything. We can, calls a judge, uh, we can downgrade, fix the deck, and then just have them mulligan. So, so that would be a downgrade to a warning. It has to be in that opening hand. It can't be their first draw for the turn. It can't be, you know, they brainstorm on turn one and, and they see... A card. Usually, this is a failure to decide board. Yep. Usually, but I actually saw an example happen last weekend where it was not. Ooh, really? Uh, Do tell. Uh, a player had presented fifty nine cards and had a card exiled from the previous game, uh, and noticed this upon drawing their opening hand. Oh, okay. So it met all of the criteria for this downgrade. Yeah, we didn't we didn't focus on the present too much. I mean, we did a little bit, but I mean, when you present the deck, that's you saying this deck is good, and that's mm-hmm. why we wait to swoop for the present um and so yep. that, that's okay. when we feel like if yeah so if i'm if i'm shuffling a 59 card deck 59 card deck 59 card deck that's fine that's perfectly legal until i present to my opponent in which case i'm saying i'm presenting a 60 card deck so if i'm shuffling a, a 59 card deck and riffle shuffling pile shuffling and all that stuff i'm a-okay with that 59 card deck uh, until I give it to my opponent, so I can notice that sideboard card or that uh, that exile card sitting off to the side any time prior to the presenting point, mm-hmm. and that's that's not even a warning, you know. Yeah, before I, they present, yeah. Yeah. Now, now I would say that if if you're shuffling a deck and you, the judge, are walking by and you see a card laying on the floor, will you pick that up and give that back to the player? <laughs> don't, don't sit don't sit there and wait to see. It's like, well, is he going to present a 59-card deck? And then you jump in, and you're like, neener, neener, yeah, deck check, got him. game loss, got him. Don't do that. All right, and that is deck checks and the DDLP and a little interlude of marked cards. So anyone have anything they want to add? I don't. Cool. Uh, obviously, we don't have any news to talk about this week, and we don't have any emails to talk about. What's the word for, because this week is incorrect, this fortnight? Yes, uh, although I don't think that word, I think that word might be what they call antiquated or possibly obsolete. Well, I don't have another word. This bi week? Does bi week bi weekly means every other, uh, twice a week, right? I don't know. I don't. Semi weekly. So that would be semi weekly. Yeah, semi weekly. So bi- yes, because I used to run bi-weekly. a bi weekly paper. Bi weekly is every other week. Semi weekly would be twice yeah, a week. I guarantee but, we've had this but discussion. Bi-monthly, but bi monthly is twice Probably a week. Pretty sure we had this discussion on the podcast yeah. at least once before. Which is why I say fortnightly, because it avoids this entire discussion every time. At least people know what fortnightly means. Yes. All right, well. And if you don't know, send us an email. <laughs> it means every two weeks. <laughs> okay, don't send us an email. Yeah, let's save us. We have so many emails right now. All right. Well, thank you, everyone, for listening. I hope this was informative and educational. Um, thank you all for co-hosting with me. And my name is CJ Schrader. I keep it fair. I'm Jess Dunks. I keep it fun. And I'm Brian Perlman, and I keep it obvious and unambiguous. Ha, 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 ha.